Rachel Kosky was working on her scuba certification at a small lake in Michigan. And we're walking out, and there's a quite a big drop-off at the lake that we were at, and then we were swimming out to um, the point where we were going to dive down. I, you know, I had my head in the water, and I just remember seeing this, like, tiny, tiny translucent um, animal moving in the water, and I looked to my dive master. I was like, what is that? There in the fresh water was a single jellyfish pulsing and floating just on the other side of her thin plastic mask. I was like, what is this? This is so cool. And then will they sting me? At the time, Rachel was a biology undergrad at Eastern Michigan University. Only a few years later, she was devoting her entire master's degree to the creature. And she's still snorkeling around small, murky lakes to look for an elusive freshwater jellyfish. This is Points North, a podcast about the land, water, and inhabitants of the Great Lakes. I'm Dan Wanshura. Today, producer Ellie Katz tries to track down the peach blossom jellyfish and explores why, more than a century after the species hitched a ride to the Great Lakes, we still don't quite understand it. That's right after this. Points North is brought to you in part by Cherry Republic, celebrating northern Michigan's tart cherries with products like jams, barbecue sauces, chocolate-covered cherries, and more. Online at cherryrepublic.com. And Aspire North Realtors, bringing real estate professionals together, supporting their involvement in the community, and advocating for the industry in a sustainable way. Online at aspirenorthrealtors.com. Had you heard of freshwater jellyfish before taking this Never. I was so excited. I guess they're like this big. Elena McCallop is curving her fingers to about the size of a nickel. We're in the middle of Picker Lake, about a half hour from Ann Arbor, and we're on the lookout for tiny freshwater jellyfish as part of a biology class at Eastern Michigan University. Elena and her girlfriend, Grace Halcrow, spent their summer getting ready for this class by diving for change in the swimming pool. When we were at home, we were just throwing coins to the bottom of our pool and trying to see if we could see them, because... And yeah, we didn't know the size of them yet, and so then when we looked it up, we are like, oh. Turns out, small coins in a pool are a little easier to spot than small jellyfish in a lake. Elena and Grace stick their faces back in the water. It's literally it's just, just green. Yeah, it's just green. But little. then you put your hand in front of your face and you're like, oh, it is clear. So it's just that deep. And then you're like, well. But then that makes you feel better because it's like if someone is actually like close to you or like anything, you would see it. Over the past century, the little jellyfish has spread to every continent on Earth except Antarctica. They've been found in every state except Alaska, Wyoming, Montana, and the Dakotas. They're seemingly all over the place, particularly the calm, plankton-rich inland waters of the Great Lakes region. And yet they're still so hard to find. It's the first day in the field, and there's nothing in sight. The class is led by Rachel Kosky and her thesis advisor, Cara Shillington, who's a biology professor at Eastern Michigan. Cara says the point is to leave the lab and study the jellyfish in its environment. When you're out there, the questions come. It's like, why are they doing this? You know, where are they? Um, you know, how do we trace them? What happens when they go up or down? Are they feeding? Are they not feeding? Uh, are they clumped together? Or are they not clumped to, together? And so all of that, until you see them, you don't even know. There's plenty of things we do know about this species. 
Like, we know they sting, but their tentacles are too small for humans to feel. We know that despite the word jellyfish, they're not actually a fish at all, so Kara says jelly instead. We know how they feed, how they reproduce, what their life cycle looks like, but there's also a lot we don't know. Like, why one year, there'll be hundreds in a lake, and then the next year they're entirely gone. We aren't really sure how weather changes their populations, or how freshwater jellies really even evolved. And it's not totally clear why they pop up in some spots, and not others. You know, we've got some arm-waving ideas, but we don't really know. So, you know, if we get to do this for multiple years, will we have a better way of predicting when we might see these organisms based on, you know, with water quality parameters or weather conditions? At Pickerel Lake today, we're still not any closer to finding out because there's not a single jelly around. Sometimes I see something so small, like I don't even know what yeah. I'm looking at, but I don't yeah. think it's what we're looking for. I keep, I swear, I saw something and it looked like it was doing the pulsing. I've seen that too. No, it's like, I think it's a little water bug. Hmm. It's got a little diving beetle. I don't know, very small, very small. I was faked out by a dead spider in the water earlier. It was white and I was like, oh my God. Class ends, but everyone comes up empty-handed. No jellyfish today, but yeah, there's all the other creatures. They wade out of the lake and head home. It's a little surprising how much we don't know, especially considering the first jelly in the region was found almost exactly 100 years ago. This is a species that came from um, China in the 1930s. The suggestion is that they, they came over with aquatic plants and were released into to the lakes and then have just been moving across the, the states, getting into to different lakes. According to a University of Michigan newspaper, a high schooler saw the first tiny pulsating creature they were fishing along the Huron River in Ann Arbor and turned the jelly over to zoologists at the University of Michigan. But instead of whisking it off to a lab, dousing it with a solution, and preserving it in the archives, the zoologist did something surprising. He put the jelly in a small aquarium display inside of a drugstore window on campus. Anyone walking by could look in and briefly see this little alien, this slimy, translucent, nickel-sized piece of a world floating just on the other side of the water. A century later, the same species is still loitering in the Great Lakes region, and it's still kind of an enigma. It's day two at the lake. There's all sorts of water bugs and aquatic plants and fishes, but still no jellies. Then, off in an unexplored corner of the lake, Elena and Grace start waving. I saw it go like right in front of my face, but then I couldn't find it because I like came up. You see it? Right there. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! Oh my gosh! It's like the size of your pinky fingernail. Yeah, yeah. It was oh so tiny. God. It just went right in front of me, and I could barely see it. And then I went down again and found Do you it. Guys wanna go over there and tiny jellies start oh, yeah. popping up all over the place. They scoop them up in little bags, like when you buy a fish from the pet store. Right now, they're itty-bitty, but they'll grow to be about the size of a nickel over the next several weeks. They'll eat, lay their eggs, and then they'll die. Some beachgoers see all the action and come check it out. It looks like a sand dollar, a translucent sand dollar. It has that pattern. Beautiful. Do you guys want to see one? Jellyfish? Really? I didn't know we had jellyfish. We got jellyfish. I'll be darned. You want to see? Yeah. 
Somehow, these jellies have crossed continents, settled in our unsalted ponds and lakes, and yet we still don't know that much about them. It could be because there's no evidence that these non-native species hurt Great Lakes ecosystems, so there's not much motivation to change things. Could be because they're not as sexy as other big aquatic animals, like sharks. But Kara and Rachel think there's another reason. Typically, a lot of research is put into vertebrates. There is like millions of species of invertebrates. There's just so much more um, time, money, effort put into vertebrates. They say invertebrates just aren't quite as lovable as our spine-bearing cousins. Maybe that preference is built into our biology, but it's also built into what we learn about the world growing up. Just think about it. Worms versus whales, insects versus elephants, zooplankton versus zebras. If they're not outright villains, invertebrates are just kind of boring at best. But scientists who do bother studying them find over and over again that they're the building blocks of our world. How can you not love them? They, the diversity is just amazing. The, the varieties of lifestyles, of what they do, of how they look, of their structure is just absolutely phenomenal. How can you ignore 99% of the animal world and focus on just 1%? So how can you not want to know more? Freshwater jellies probably aren't the invertebrate heroes of our dreams, but they are a gateway. A gateway into the understudied, underappreciated world of invertebrates. And that's plenty. That story was produced by Ellie Katz. It was edited by Morgan Springer and me, Dan Wanshura. Music by Poddington Bear. For more stories from around the Great Lakes, listen and subscribe to Points North wherever you find podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Points North Podcast. It's lowercase, all one word. Before we go, a shout out to our friends over at Great Lakes Now. It's a PBS series focused on issues that matter to the people in the Great Lakes region. In the latest episode, they head to Michigan's Keweenaw Peninsula for a lesson in the art of building mountain bike trails. And they explore how a recent U.S. Supreme Court decision is impacting wetlands. Check them out at greatlakesnow.org. All right, that's it for this week. Points North is a production of Interlochen Public Radio.